This is an audio presentation of God First Church, Cheltenham, England. A community of Jesus followers, worshipping God first, proclaiming God first, and together living God first lives. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk. So this is the third of our uh, series around Easter, uh, the crucifixion in my place. And it's no surprise today that I'm going to talk on the resurrection. But I'm going to talk on the title of The Resurrection Makes All Things New. The Resurrection Makes All Things New. And we're going to go to some dark places as well as, to, uh, as, well as uh, we're going to come out into the light. That's the nature of death and resurrection. So that's what we're going to do this morning. But I want to ask you a question. Um, what happens when you die? What happens when you die? Okay, we, we're gonna, we know what happens when Jesus dies and rose again, but what happens when you die? You might think that it's a choice between you live on this good earth and there's, a, there's two possible destinations. There's a, there's a destination called heaven and there's a destination called hell. Who, 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 who would say that, that that seems a reasonable summary of what I'm expecting? You're in danger because you're putting your hands up. And I'm going to say, actually, that's very Greek, that's very Greek philosophy, the idea that there's two destinations. You live on the earth and you go to heaven and hell. That is actually not true. Actually, heaven and earth are the two counterparts, not heaven and hell. Uh, heaven and earth are the two co-equal counterparts. It's not heaven and hell. God's story is not heaven and hell as two equal good and bad counterparts competing for our eternal destiny. Heaven does have a counterpart and it's the earth. So actually, if you think I'm making this up and you think, man, I'm already struggling with this. Uh, if you think I'm making it up, you can uh, search, put, your, put in your Bible search if you use the online uh, Bible at all and type the words heaven and hell and see if they come up together. How many times do you think heaven and hell come up together in the Bible verses? None. How many times do heaven and earth come together? I'll tell the answer, 195. So actually, it's interesting that we've got this thinking about heaven and hell, but actually we should really think about heaven and earth. And we've, as we did our, our series on, on divine sex and sexuality, we talked a lot about this, uh, this togetherness of heaven and earth, this overlap of heaven and earth. Uh, and and the, the whole Bible story starts with, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Uh, the, the, the place where heaven and earth overlapped is, is Eden. It's this glorious paradise. It's this garden uh, where heaven and earth overlapped, where God and man dwelt together. But we know that, that that creation that God said was very, very good actually is not the world we live in. Sri Lanka tells us that this morning, that something has gone wrong. Heaven and earth have been torn apart. And what happened is that there was a, a, a choice that was given, and we talk about this often. I, I, the more I get into Genesis, the more I think, there's so much in here. I probably should write a book on it, but it's probably been done. But... but the, there's a, there's a question that's asked in Genesis, take and eat. It's interesting, we're going to break bread later. Jesus says take and eat. There's a take and eat. 
And there's a question tempted that, that by, by this serpent to say, take and eat. And what happens is, Adam and Eve, the first humans, the, uh, take and eat this fruit that's forbidden. They take autonomy upon themselves uh, and they, they, they choose, they choose to, to, to reject God and, and set themselves on the throne and, and, and set... Uh, but what happens is that they're not promised that, that they know good. They're promised that they know good and evil, and they won't die. But actually, it's a lie. The world is torn apart. And what happens is is then uh, that sin and death, sin, rejection of God, and death, the result of standing away from God. I, I explain it sometimes like this: if, if if God is life, and we reject God and step away from life then the result is death. And, and so sin and death enter God's good earth as invasive intruders. Uh, and, and basically, uh, I, it's not so much in Cheltenham, although we have got neighbourhood watch. Is anyone a part of a neighbourhood watch? We are part of a neighbourhood watch. I don't know if it's, we've got the most paranoid neighbours. There was two break-ins. Uh, you know, Cheltenham, two break-ins, panic, meltdown, neighbourhood watch. And, and, and there's this kind of like worry about being, being broken into. And, and, you know, people have got these bells that you ring. And if you're in, on holiday in Cyprus, you can answer. You're you familiar with this technology? Yeah, yeah, it's not a bit. But in Manchester, where we used to, where I did church before, Naomi and I did church, Everybody been broken into. Put your hands up if you've ever been broken into in Cheltenham, while you've lived in Cheltenham. You see, it's very good, isn't it? It's a great place to live. Hands up if you've lived elsewhere and been broken into. There you go, you see. <laughs> Joe Burgers. <laughs> and it's, what happens is, is that, 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 that to, to think about sin and death and the result of, 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 of all the brokenness of the world, it, it, they've, in, they've come in like in, invaders into the house. They've come in like housebreakers. They've come in unintentionally. But the, 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 the truth is, we didn't intend them to come in, but we've invited them in. When humanity says, I don't want God, what happened is we left the door open and in they came. And they've made their home in the earth. They've had sin and death and hell and brokenness and evilness have made their home in God's good earth. This book that I uh, have stolen loads from, but uh, I need to be honest, uh, is, is called The Skeletons in God's Closet. And it's basically ask, saying, you know, what is it about hell and judgment and justice and all that? Because sometimes we feel like, oh, well, they're God's problem. You know, God's got a problem because he's created hell. Or God's got a problem because he wants to do justice. And we, we feel that as a problem. And he unpacks this story really, really well. And one of the things he says is, we are the ones, not God, who unleash the destructive power of hell into the world. God doesn't sex traffic millions of young girls. We do. It isn't God who creates the killing fields of Cambodia, Rwanda, Bosnia, Sri Lanka. We do. The Nazi concentration camp guard is neither God nor a demonic monster. He's remarkably unremarkable. He's shockingly like us. 
So when we look at this Resurrection Sunday, we can be saying, well, that's a bit of a dark place to start. But actually what we're saying is, what I'm saying is that the, the world is messed up and broken and the problem is that we've invited in the people who have messed up and broken it. We've invited these dark forces of sin and death into the world that have messed up and broken it. The way that the, 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 the Bible writers understand this is, is interesting, and they use this uh, idea of, you know, if you ask where is hell, you'd probably say, yeah, and heaven's kind of like that, and it's that kind of geography that, that, that hell's down there. But actually, the way the, 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 the writers in, uh, of Israel and the way that the, the gospel writers understood it was that actually that hell was outside the city. This place of, of brokenness, this place of destruction, actually was a place outside the city. And, and, and it had come in to invade the city. And interesting, I saw this the other day, and this is just for the geeks amongst you, and I know it's Cheltenham and there's quite a few. So I saw this the other day. So here's, here's a, a picture of Jerusalem in the first century, and it's got the kind of components of, of where, they, where, the, where the, the basic stuff or the cosmology, if you want the fancy word, of where the Hebrews thought stuff was. And it was almost like Jerusalem uh, represents this place. So, so the temple in Jerusalem, it's a big square box, uh, basically in the middle. Um, yeah, there's a big square box at the end, but we'll talk about that, but you can read it for yourself. There's a big square box called the Holy of Holies, and that was where God dwelt. Remember, we're talking about heaven and earth. Heaven on earth. This, in the Jewish thinking, was this temple. And Jerusalem, uh, does anyone know, it's, can anyone spot a, a, a Hebrew word in Jerusalem? Okay, it was probably too easy, wasn't it? It's one of those questions, you know, when I used to be a school teacher, you ask them a question, I think it's too easy. <laughs> okay, Jerusalem is the city of Shalom, the city of peace, the city of God's blessing and God's favour. And so Jerusalem represented this kind of place of God's favour where, 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 where heaven and earth interacted. Um, and and then there was this idea of outside the city, outside the city. So inside the city was, was kind of the place of God's blessing, but outside the city uh, became uh, a picture for, for where, where evil was, where hell was. Bear with me, it'll all come together as we make sense. And, and, and Jesus called this, this place Gehenna. Actually, it's uh, called the Valley of Himnon. Uh, and actually, it's called Gehimnon uh, in slang, and, and in Greek that became Gehenna. And so there's this idea of where is evil in the world? It, it, it's, it's actually, da it's not down below, it's not like you, that the evil's down below, it's in the world, but actually the, the, the idea was it would, should be outside. It should be outside the city. Uh, let me read just what I put here. Um, outside the city of Jerusalem, the city of, of Shalom, runs the valley of Himnon. A centre, and it, it actually was a shaded valley, and it became this uh, centre for kind of arts and kind of boho kind of uh, behaviour. And then gradually, over the centuries, it degenerated into a, a centre for pagan, sexualised idol worship, and eventually a place where, and this is horrible, where idolatrous Jews would sacrifice their children in the fire to the fertility god Moloch. And then when the Babylonians attacked Jerusalem in, in nine, uh, 597 BC, what the Babylonians did, they took the massed corpses of the dead 
and threw them unburied into this valley. So what happens is, if you said to somebody in, in, in Jerusalem, where is this, where's, where's evil? They would have said, it's there. It's outside the city in this place of sexual immorality, in the, outside the city in this place of, of kind of uh, sacrifice of children, or abortion if you want. And it's outside the city in this place of death. And so... These invaders, sin and death, have broken, in, have broken into the world and, and, and the, 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 the Jews were saying, we, we need to keep them outside the city. The world out there is, is evil and we need to keep it outside the city. Josh Butler writes this, hell is not content outside. It wants to be inside the city. So evil has invaded the world and it's not convent, content to be outside. It wants to take over the world, sin wages war on the shalom of Jerusalem. There's something evil in the world, something bad in the world that wants to break it up, that wants to bring sickness and disease and death and broken relationships. There's something bad that's invading the world. And he writes this, Josh Butler writes this, child murderers, that's the ones who are sacrificing their kids in the fire, unbelievable, came back in the city to sleep. The adulterers who got involved in sexualized worship laid claim to Jerusalem's marriage beds. Hymnon's idols want to be set up in the temple. Sin's invading armies take the people of the city and bring them, bring death to them outside the city. So I just want you to think about, okay, we've got this evil, broken world, and, and it needs to be outside the city, but, but what it constantly wants to do is to come and invade. It wants to come and invade. And you might think, I, I'm not understanding this at all. But actually, you probably have felt these kind of invasive intruders of sin and death and brokenness and pain come into your life. I don't think there'll be anybody here who's not felt that these things have been contained outside. But they've broken in. They've broken in and and messed up the world, and, and something's gone wrong. Josh Butler helps move us forward with this. He says, Jesus, uh, he's American by the way, so I, I quite like his phrase here. Jesus is going to kick the hell out of the earth. You think, hang on a minute, what does that mean? Jesus is going to kick the hell out of the earth. And, and we tend to think that, that God's point is he wants to give us a bad time. Actually, he wants to give evil a bad time. The king is coming to establish his kingdom. And when he does, sin's destructive power will be cast outside. Sin has made a mess of things for far too long. So Jesus is coming to kick out the vandals and put his house in order through his resurrecting reign. Jesus tells us that the power of hell is going to get kicked outside the city. The image Jesus has used is Gehenna. So there's something wrong with the world. It's some evil or brokenness in the world, and we've invited it in. And Jesus comes at Easter. Jesus comes at that first Easter to put it right. So it's, it's up from here. You think, oh, that was dark. It's up from here. But it's not up, as it were, for Jesus, the, 
The passion starts with a meal. Uh, while they were eating, Jesus took bread, or we'll do it later. When he'd given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat. It's almost the first question repeated. This is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he'd given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant. That's, that's the sense of something new is about to happen, which is poured out for the many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink the fruit of this vine from now on until the day when I drink it new in the Father's kingdom. And it's interesting that there's, there's a sense where this meal that we're going to take is, 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 is an inauguration. It's the start of something new. God is going to do something new. The world's messed up and broken. We, we see it all over. It wants to invade our lives and invade the city. It wants to destroy, but we, and we can't keep it out. But God has come to push it out. But it's interesting, I, I thought of this just this morning. John, in his story of the Last Supper, of the breaking bread, says this. And as soon as soon as Judas had taken the bread, say it with me, he went outside. I think the Bible writers never waste a word, do they? There's something where he's in the city, he's almost in the, in the temple, with the temple, with Jesus, the very presence of God, and dips his bread in the, in the meal, with, in the cup with Jesus, and there's that moment where everyone thinks, who is it, who is it? And it says, Satan entered him and he decided in his heart to betray him. And it says, and Jesus and, and Judas went outside and it was night. There's this sort of movement where he makes the decision that he doesn't want God. He wants to step outside. He'd rather be in the darkness on the outside than be in with God. And I think that's a, a choice that all humanity has made. We can point to Jesus and say, he's not like ours. But actually, as Josh Butler said, no, he's very like us. So what's the response to this? Jesus goes outside. Well, actually, he's taken outside. It says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13, so Jesus also suffered outside of the city to make the people holy through his blood. Holy is that sense of no spot or taint of evil. To make them holy through his blood. Let us then go outside the camp let us go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. In one sense, Jesus goes, is taken outside the city walls. There's something significant. The, the Jews would have a, a, a ceremony uh, called the Day of Atonement, and they'd put their hands on, 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 on two goats, and one of them was slaughtered, and the other one was put, uh, put their hands on, as it were, to say, put, we put our sin here, and the other one was driven outside the city. And Jesus goes outside the city, he's taken outside the city as a sacrifice. Again, Josh Butler puts it brilliantly, he says, to look at the cross is to see hell. Outside the city, in the darkness, Jesus experiences the physical and spiritual torment of hell. 
It's, it's not God that flayed Jesus' skin from his bones. It's not God who drove in the nails into Jesus' hands or devised the heart-burning, limb-dislocating death called crucifixion. It was not God stripped his son naked or mocked him as he died. God does not unleash hell on humanity. Humanity unleashes hell on God. One of the, Paul in one of his letters says about Jesus, he who knew no sin became sin for us. In that moment, it's almost as if God took all the brokenness and evilness of the world through all time and all space and, and drew it all in, gathered it all up and placed it on his son and placed him outside the city. to take brokenness and sin and death and hell upon himself. And if that had been the end of the story, he would have died like everyone else. We wouldn't have been here. But actually there's a new creation coming. Sophie read uh, from Mark's account. This is John's account. I've edited it down keep the thrust of it. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Madeline went to the tomb and saw the stone had been removed from the entrance. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb. At this she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not realise it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he's the the gardener. Here we are in a garden again. She said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. There's something about the way that this is written on the first day of the week. That's Sunday. What do we know about happened on the first day of the week? In the beginning, God made heaven and earth. John's making it really clear that this is a new creation happening. The the, the creation that God made that's very good, that we've messed up and we've invited sin and brokenness and death and hell inside... God's making it all new. He's going to make it new. Jesus has taken death down to the grave. He's taken hell down to hell. And now he promises a new creation. So what does this all all mean so far? That, that, That there's a promise of a new creation, a life in a new creation. Peter Lewis, in his book, The Glory of Christ, says this. Jesus' resurrection from the dead is not merely a great event upon the plane of history. In other words, a sing- just an event, one event. But an act that breaks into history with the power of another world. An act that breaks into history with the power of another world. The bodily resurrection of Jesus from the dead altered everything both for him 
and the whole creation and for all who believe. So what do we have to do with this? How do we live in the light of this, this battle, as it were, between, between uh, sin and death and ours and, and Christ's victory? How do we live in response to that? I've got four short Bible verses and then some reflections as we finish. These are what the, the, the writers of the New Testament say. How do you live in the fact that this is a new creation? That sin's been taken outside the city, but yet wants its way back in. Sin's been defeated, but yet wants to rise and battle again against us. That's what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5. He says, Jesus died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has gone, the new is here. God was reconciling. What does that word reconciling mean? It means to be brought together. God was bringing together the world and himself in Christ. Not counting people's sins against them. Paul says, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled for God. For God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that we might become the righteousness of God. Paul is saying, if you're a Christian, you're a new creation. It's not like you've just decided to change your habits, or you've just decided to behave differently, or you've decided like you've swapped to, to following Jesus like you might swap political parties, or football teams, which is harder even to do. But, you know, but they think, well, it's kind of a big deal. I could, I, I've always been a Leeds fan. You know, this weekend, I think, I don't want to be a Leeds fan. It's been terrible. You know, but, but, but I'm stuck with it. And you think, well, if I started to support Liverpool, that would be a huge, massive thing for me. And we can think becoming a Christian is like that. I've just kind of changed my opinion. I've just changed my allegiance. But actually, Paul is saying, no, no, actually, what's changed is completely your DNA. There's something completely new about you. That you're made new. And in other words, instead of being subject to, to sin and death, there's something new at work in you. And you might not feel that, that you can feel that, but Paul says, actually, that new creation power is working in you. That resurrection power is working in you. Paul writes this in Ephesians chapter 1. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people or in the saints. And his incomparable great power for us who believe. It'd be interesting if we stop there and says, what's this great power that, 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 that Paul's talking about? What's, what's this great power that's going to help us live differently? What's this great power that's going to help us overcome sin and death and hell? What's this great power? We think, well, it's got to be something. something. We went out for dinner um, last night. It was Demaris's birthday on, uh, on the um, Friday. And Saturday, because she was away having fun, so Saturday we went out for dinner, and, and Jotham likes to do this game where, like, most likely, so we're doing this kind of, who'd be most likely to write a book, and who'd be this, and who this, and then, they, then we kind of flipped it and said, what superpower would you like? What superpower would you like? And, and, and it's almost like, well, what, what superpower would you like? What, 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 what great power would you like from God? Yeah, would you like to do miracles? Would you, would you like to, to, be, to, you know, Zach said, I'd like infinite speed, whatever that is. He's obviously been watching too much kind of Incredibles. You know, what superpower would you like? 
to help you live the life right. And Paul says, I want your eyes to be open to actually there is a superpower at work in you. There's a superpower, incomparable. There's no great power like this. That power is the same or like, it is the same as his mighty strength that exerted when he raised up Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion. And God placed all things under his feet, even sin and death, and appointed him head over everything for the church. That is what resurrection means. It means you've got this power that raised Jesus from the dead, this power that stood outside the city with all the horrible hell of crucifixion and evil poured upon him, the whole sin of the whole world, and it it took him down and then he so powerfully burst out. You think, what would it take to make the world a better place? You know, what power would I need to make the world a better place? You think, well, if I had huge military power, I could tell people to behave and, you know, put them in prison if they didn't behave. And I'd be able to, if I had all knowledge, track down terrorists and we could sort it all out. But Paul's saying, no, there's this power that raised Jesus from the dead is going to be the power that's going to make the world right. And that power, if you're a Christian, is working in you. You seem, oh, for goodness sake, just shut up. Hello? That is incredible. You know, we should be able to pull up, I won't do it, we should pull off our shirts and a big, I don't know, what R for resurrection or J for Jesus, you know, whoa! Thank you, Christopher, I love you too. So that means, that means you can do what he did. You can kick sin outside. And you say, oh, why are you talking about sin? Because that's the big problem. You can kick sin outside. Paul says, come on, let's kick sin outside, everyone. Talking about baptism. Why do we have baptism? Death in the water. Resurrection. He's talking in that context. In Romans 5, he says, we know that our old self, the one that wants to go outside the city and then sneak back in, I want to go outside and just have a bit of this and a bit of fun and I'll come and sleep here, but no one will know. We know that our old self was crucified with Christ so that the body ruled by sin, by these invasive intruders, might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. For if, if we died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. For we know that Christ was raised from the dead in the same way Count yourself dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, read this with me. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourself to God as those who've been brought from death to life. Sin wants inside. What's inside your relationship, as if, as if it were you, if you're the city, what's inside? Sin wants inside. And we are going to kick it outside and say, no, I am not going to let that happen. I'm not going to let sin inside. I understand how destructive it is in my life. I'm not going to let it inside. How am I going to do it? How can I say no? By the power of a New Year's resolution? No, but by the power of Jesus working in you. You can kick it outside. And it's a lie that you can't. And when the when temptation comes to me, it, temptation doesn't say it's destructive. 
It doesn't say, would you like this behaviour? It's going to be hugely destructive for you. As destructive as destroyed the world. Would you like to in, engage in that kind of behaviour? You, you, you wouldn't say yes, would you? It comes and says, hey, come on. You know, you deserve this. Life's been a bit tough. A little bit of sin's going to make you feel good. Why don't you just sneak outside the city for a little bit into that cheap motel called Sin and just hang there. And then you could sneak back into church on Sunday morning, Howard, and no one will know. But actually, if we understand it's this destructive force that's destroyed the world, you ain't going to say yes, are you? If, you, if, if, it's, if it's such a destructive force that it meant Jesus had to die this horrible death outside the city wall, you aren't going to say yes, are you? But we do. Because we caught between the old and the new. The new is coming, the old is going. A couple more and we'll get done. Paul says this in uh, 1 Corinthians, uh, Colossians chapter 1. Therefore, this is our, our sins, you have been raised with Christ. In other words, crucifixion and resurrection are at work in you. Since you've been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And then he says it again, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. I do this all the time. Set my mind on things below. Set my mind on things that are trivial and passing, things that, that seem momentous but are really momentary, that things that really don't matter. I set my, my mind and heart on those things. I was re- I, I'm, I'm, I'm displaying it. I was so miserable. My team lost. We're supposed to be getting promoted. And my team lost to Wigan. They were a goal up with, with a man sent off and then they went and threw it away. And I, and I, you know, I woke up Saturday morning and I feel miserable. I feel miserable. And some of you can't understand that, but I think, well, that is so pathetic, Howard. Set your heart on things above. But like, no, I let these trivial little pathetic things annoy me. I let big things that seem huge in the context of this life really frustrate me. But Paul's saying, redirect your focus. Because you've been raised with Christ, your destiny is a new creation. It's somewhere else. Set your minds on sing above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden in Christ, who is your life in God. Put to death, therefore, what belongs to the earthly nature section. I was going to cut this out and I thought, oh, it's going to make people feel uncomfortable for Sunday. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the justice of God is coming. But now you've taken off your old self with its practices and you've put on the new self, which is being renewed in the image of its creator. It's interesting as we, we finish, which camp are you going to stand in? Which camp are you going to stand in? Because if you're going to stand in the, in the camp called sin, what happens is God is going to put you outside. But if you stand in Christ, he's the one who's been put outside so you can be brought in. So we have to join God in the renewal of all things. Tim Keller always gets a quote here. It's Christians are to move out into a violent world as agents of shalom. In other words, we are to go outside. We are to go outside where there's evil and brokenness. We're not to hide inside our bubble. Thank you, we've been saved, and in the temple we are. No, we've got to go outside, outside the city. Outside, into the, a violent world as agents of shalom, into a broken world as agents of healing and reconciliation, into a needy world as servants of the poor. We do so knowing that if it's God's we do so knowing that it is God's will to eventually end all war and division, 
all poverty and injustice. And then he says this, the resurrection of Christ assures us that God will redeem not just our souls but our bodies and will bring about a new heavens and a new earth. As the risen Christ, he stands not just with us in our present time, but he waits at the end of history to heal and renew everything. I want you to feel this kind of compulsion, this, this propulsion of a new world, a new age, a new creation work, work, working in you. Let's finish the story because we short a time as usual and we end up fin- not finishing the story. Let me just read from Revelation 21 where it always is the counterpart of Genesis chapter 1. John writes this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among his people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be their God. And then he's going to make it all right. His resurrection is going to make it right. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He's kicked it out. He who is seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new. That word there is renewed. It's not like a fresh one, it's renewed. He's renewing the world. And then John says, verse 22, he says, I did not see a temple in the city. No temple now because the Lord Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And then I found this really interesting. Its gates, this city, will never be shut for there will be no darkness there. Nothing impure will ever enter it. Nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. When you get to the end of the story, the gates of the city are open. The gates of heaven are open. But actually, the evil, broken, messed up world does not want to be inside. It stays outside. The gates are open, but it, they stay outside. We've got this idea that God sends people out and they're kicking and streaming and saying, I want to be in your presence. They say, actually, no, they just stay out. The gates of the city of light stand always open because there's no darkness here. The shalom of the city needs no gates, no protection from the broken, invasive power of sin. God's new Jerusalem stands open yet nothing impure will ever enter it. Sin and death will never enter. They're repelled by the glorious indwelling presence of the risen sin and death conqueror, Jesus Christ. God's going to clean up the earth. He took it in himself, took it down to the grave. He conquered it and now he's going to put it outside. But for us who believe, Jesus is making everything new. Let's finish with Josh Ryan Butler. God's city 
reconciles heaven and earth. The new Jerusalem, the church, the dwelling place of God comes down out of heaven. We're not going up to heaven. Heaven is coming down to earth. God is not on a mission to get us out of the earth into heaven or hell, but by the life, death and resurrection of Jesus to bring heaven and earth together and deliver them from the destructive power of sin, death and hell to make all things new. I'm going to break bread now. This meal is like the the invitation inside God's good world. It's the invitation into, into Christ's newness, into Christ's new creation. Jesus says, on the, it says, on the night he's betrayed, Jesus took bread and broke it. And after he'd given thanks, he said, take and eat. The invitation to come back in, the invitation to, to join in this new creation, the invitation to have the power of Jesus' broken body and weak body and resurrected body at work in us is the invitation. It says, after supper, he took the cup. So this is the, my blood. This is the cup of my blood, the new covenant poured out for many. It's an invitation into a new world. As you drink this, it's saying it's an invitation into the power of a new world. It's a new perspective. Instead of earthly things and foolish sin, it's an invitation to say, I, I fix my eyes on things above. It's the power of the risen Jesus. But as I said when when I read the, the, the gospel, actually, you can take this and still be like Judas. You can take this and, in church and think it's all very powerful, but if there's no trust in Jesus, if there's no saying, I'm living this risen life, you can be like Jesus. You can take and eat and then go outside. So I just want us to take a moment and say, that's not what we're doing. If you're if you're a Christian this morning, please don't be like that. If you're a non-Christian this morning, you're saying, actually, I prefer to be outside. God invites you in. The gates are open. Come on in. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk.